folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted to be joined by Tammy Heerman. Tammy works in this sector of women in leadership. Fascinating piece that she's just done 20 years after her first bit of work that she did at the London School of Economics. She did a comparative study between Germany, Japan, UK and US in terms of women in their roles there. 20 years later has done uh, an interview to say, so what's changed? So we'll pick up on that today. We'll pick up on the role of women in business and leadership and some of the, the conversations she's having in that space. And this has been recorded on the week of International Women's Day, so it's quite a powerful piece to um, to start to think about. But we start to explore other sides of equity in terms of you know neurodiverse side, but also skin color. So we, we we touch a number of things in today. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation. I look forward to hearing your feedback. So tell me about the report, because that's, for me, looking at those cultures and the role of women, that was an important piece you did there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kind of led me to doing this, I'll just back up, is that 15, 20 years ago, I was doing my master's degree in London, and I was taking a comparative human resource strategy course. And so we got to choose four countries to compare industrial relations, kind of the culture around workers, all of that good stuff. And then I chose the US, Mm -hmm. the UK, Germany, and Japan. So I thought I'd get a really, really you know, different uh, perspective from from each of these places. Don't and don't ask me what what I learned <laughs> twenty years ago. All I know is that it has changed considerably. And and so I thought, wouldn't it be fun to go back to those same countries now? And of course, given the work we do, we have connections all over the world, yeah, right? Yeah. And I reached out to four amazing women, you know, strong leaders who also do work in this area or are connected to it somehow. And I and I just asked them what's top of mind? What are women talking about? How far have we come in terms of of advancement? And I'd say the sentiment was the same all around the world, you know, not nearly far enough. Um, What are the big barriers? And that's where we did see a bit of difference um, depending on, let's say, how mature the country is. So for example, in the UK, you know, really what we talked about is kind of the barriers for older women and how we really idolize kind of youth and especially for women. And so in the UK, they're really um, leading conversations around ageism and menopause and making that kind of part of the norm, because then it's one less thing that a woman has to deal with alone. And so we really talked about some leading issues, not to say everything is is fixed anywhere in the world, but, but we were kind of talking about more leading issues. And then when we got to Germany, it was really fascinating for me because oftentimes we think of Germany as, you know, very technologically advanced on the, you know, engineering and all of those good things. But she said, Tammy, we are still so traditional here. And even the tax laws don't help spur women into the workforce. It keeps it more of an incentive to kind of, you know, work part-time or or stay home. And I said, but boy, I mean, you have three years of maternity leave like that. That's viewed as so progressive. And she said, yes, it's wonderful that we have those protections. However, it also keeps us in that trap that the woman's place, the family, the children, you know, they benefit more. They're they're better off when the mother stays home. She said, so those, yeah. So I just found some really interesting things. And then Japan, well, 
you know, amongst all of the rankings, global rankings, they are among the lowest in everything in terms of equality and pay gap and level of women in leadership. And, you know, the, the patriarchy is alive and well in Japan, yeah. um, certainly. So it was just fascinating to, to look at all of that again. Mm, 20 years on. So that, that leads us nicely into, you know, it, it sounds a stupid question. How did you get into being, you know, women in leadership? And that's your sweet spot for what your work is. But you're a woman, but how did you get into the work of leadership? And how did you pick this particular topic? Maybe we go mm -hmm. a bit back and tell the, the listeners about where you've come from. You got yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it in you know, in short, it was a pet project that went awry. <laughs> so, <laughs> you love so, yeah. So I always had a passion for um, leadership development in, in general. So I built my career, you know, over 20 years in, in first of all, kind of training, and I even started with technical training. Wow. Um, and then just found my love of helping, um, which is you know a very tough job to be a leader. And I fell in love with all of that, and, and plus I love Love to continually learn myself and and so you know and I'm sure you would share that when you are in consulting when you work with so many organizations the learning never stops um, but then one day my CEO at the time came to me and he said Tammy a buddy of mine has a daughter and she just bought this business and they have those, you know, inspiring luncheons and get, you know, a couple hundred women in a ballroom. And, and but she wants to do more with her business. She doesn't want it just to be luncheons. She really wants to move the numbers. So, you know, they're looking for a leadership development partner. Make it work. Mm. And so all of a sudden, bloop, there's this project on my desk that yeah. I didn't see any revenue from. I, I saw taking a ton of my time, you know, but I, I had to do it because my CEO told me, his buddy asked him to. Um, and as I started to dive into this area and work with these, you know, all these women as we're in these workshop conversations together, I just saw the power and kind of getting together and chatting. But even more importantly, I was living the journey right alongside them. So I wasn't this, you know, seasoned woman saying, well, just do what I did back in the day. And here's what worked for me. I was literally struggling right alongside them. And, and so that's kind of how it became a passion for me. Um, I was able to lead the practice area at a global consulting firm in this area. And then the last three years I've been doing this on my own. So I'm, I'm fascinated because one of my beliefs is about practice leadership in that you've got to be in it to be practicing it, to, to teach it and work it. So that's in some ways, even though you were going through it, struggling through it, that probably gave you was a rich vein of thinking and, and work that you could take from your own struggles to talk to them. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I think it made me relatable. I mean, that's the mm. feedback I get all the time is that certainly you're genuine and authentic, but you get it from the standpoint of um, those of us who, who sometimes um, struggle with stepping forward. And so we have no shortage, thankfully, of amazing role models out there that are breaking boundaries and just, just do it. And, and their, you know, their advice is just, you know, I conquered Wall Street and this and that. And we need that. But for most of us, we look at that and go, I'm not that. I'm never no. going to be that. I'm yeah. a senior manager in an organization and I just need to know what it looks like to be my best self and to step up where I am. And I think people mm. get that from me. Okay, Tammy's been there. She's made it to a senior vice president position and she kind of just feels like me. So if she can mm. do it, so can I. You know? Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's almost like an osmosis piece, yeah, um, because I was chatting to Karen Wright uh, on a podcast and she was talking about the accidental alpha, which is her second book. And I, I love that concept. And she was talking about gender in that. And I said, well, actually, I feel like sometimes that being an accidental alpha in that I'd like other people to step up and take the role, you know, and then when they don't, I do it. Yeah, I have that, find that gap and that vacuum um, to take it. So it's fascinating. But but living by osmosis, so when it comes to the work you do, just tell us a bit about the work you do. Yeah, what, how do you live this and breathe this every day? Mm-hmm. My work, I say, is certainly with and for women and the managers that support them. Because we know that there's nothing worse than, you know, getting a group of people who feel maybe underserved or underrepresented and and getting them all fired up. And then they go back into an organization, a culture or a crappy manager, right? So so I work with the women and the managers that support them. Um, And how I do that is kind of three ways. So first would be just inspiring. So you know, lots of Tammy, we just want you for an hour, come and, you know, provide some entertainment. These are the keynotes or some education mm-hmm. or some, all of that. So that was a lot of what happened this week with International Women's Day. Um, and then the second is develop. So skills development through workshops and leadership is gender agnostic, or at least it should, it should be, right? It should, um, be. It should be. And so a yeah. lot of the skills that I teach are for anyone, you know, like anyone can better learn to influence or to, you know, navigate environments or network or whatever the topic is we're talking about. However, what I do is layer on the gender research. It says, okay, why are we feeling this? Why do we think it's smarmy and yuck and ick to talk about ourselves? And so what did the gender research say about that? Um, so that's, I always layer on that piece. And then the third way, and this is just my favorite, and this is Accelerate. This is working with a group of high potentials that an organization has identified as, you know, a group that they want to maybe fast track um, or retain. And and so we'll do a real nice in-depth kind of program. It could be over a year, for example, with coaching and assessment and workshops and sponsorship and, you know, all that good stuff. So that's fun when you get to live the journey with someone for a period of time. Yeah, I'm working there. And, and you know, the, one of the, the, the pieces for me, I'm a father of daughters, so my daughters are coming through. And they were at an all-girls school and then got into the sixth form and now they're in mixed uh, year. And therefore, they're starting to experience what it's like to, to deal with boys, men. And, you know, the gender piece comes in there. And and for a lot of people, and, you know, for example, taking the India, we were doing some work with a, one of our clients. And they wanted to take their women in leadership program out of being a woman in leadership program because of the branding there culturally almost put a target on them to say it's a women leadership program and you know the role of women in india and that what they have to suffer is is difficult there so they want to take it out so how do you balance that which is taking them out from that and then putting them back into that that situation oh gosh there's so much good stuff in what you said there and before (laughs) I'm going to talk about that. It's really interesting you say that your girls went to an all-girls school too. Is, is right now I'm speaking with an all-girls school and I have done work with all-boys schools as well. Mm. And um, there is so much research around the benefits of having, um, you know, same gender learn together and, and all of that. Mm. But I asked that exact question, Colin, of the leader. I said, do you, I'm curious, do you have conversations, especially with the girls, for when they do enter the workforce and these other domains um, about what they're about to experience? you know and and she said no we don't address that so i think it's interesting i'd I'd love to know how your daughters experience that later but but here's the thing so i have worked with women in different cultures around the world 
And what I found is that we all struggle with similar things around the world due to um, societal norms and, you know, <laughs> thousands of years of patriarchy and all of that. Um, but it's to a different degree. So, for example, in Japan, when we wanted to talk about comfort with conflict and comfort with kind of stepping forward, they would experience that on a whole different level than someone in the U.S., for example, who, you know, we're speaking forthright or even in the U.K., speaking more forthright is, is um, more of an acceptable part of the culture. And so it's not that women in the US or the UK don't have fear around, you know, conflict or stepping. It's just it's on, it's on a whole different scale from a cultural perspective. So my first thing is there are commonalities that we need to talk mm. about. But I think what, what you're also talking about is how do you then deal with when there is that separation? Mm. There was an interesting organization I worked with. And when I presented the curriculum, the way I approach women in leadership programs, the, the CHRO just looked at me and said, well, Tammy, this, this could be for any leader. And I said, mm. yeah, that's exactly my point. Leadership is gender agnostic yep. and this program could be for any leader and we're going to layer in all the gender stuff. And she said, well, this is what I want to do. I want to run two separate cohorts. I want to have all the women together and then I want to have mm -hmm. all the men together the next two days. And then at the end, we're going to bring them together. And I just like held my hands over my head and I said, I don't know how this is going to work. And I've never done this before where you're being so yeah. blatant about boys over here, girls over here, and then we'll, you know, yeah. mix you on the playground. And um, what ended up happening because their intent was so genuine and so pure. Um, and this CHRO sat in every single session and she said, here's what we're doing and why. Yeah. We know what the research says around this and we want to have, you know, conversations that feel comfortable and we want to um, then say, but this isn't how life is. And so we're going to, you know, and she just explained it with mm. all the best intent and conviction around it. And you know what? It's great. They're still doing it. Mm. And I can't even tell you how different the sessions are when you sit in one to the other. But then when people come together, it's just kind of like, okay, here's my insights. Here's what we learned. Here's what we learned. And now let's just talk about it. And they just kind of go on their way. Mm. And I think so many organizations try to hide these very human issues that, oh, well, you know, why did, why did these groups get to do special things and why is this happening and what? And I think we just have to be upfront about mm. Here's what's happening. Here's how we're going to attempt to address it. Some mm. things might work. Some things might not. But you know, this is why. Yeah. And also, therefore, you layer on at the moment the gender neutral, all the, the conversations around that, and then you get into a whole different complex. And we're launching a program called the 500, which is around increasing equity in society. And then you, the intersectionality of a lot of these things in terms of neurodiversity, gender, skin color, and just listened to an amazing TED talk about the the data. So black woman, you know, hitting nearly all of the uh, the biases in terms of how they're perceived. So how do you how do you bring in those and work in in that environment in the work you do? Yeah. Oh, Colin, that is such a good question and and it's evolving mm -hmm. all the time so it, we have to and you know you do work in leadership obviously too we have to keep on top of this stuff so unfortunately right now all of the research is men or women defined as right born and identified as those genders at birth yeah. so right now that's kind of what i'm drawing on now that being said i'm 
carefully trying to adjust my language all the time. Um, I'm getting involved in more projects, thankfully, where it's not just women, but it's um, it's, it's other represented minorities, including men um, of, of, of different backgrounds. Um, and so all of this is coming together, which I think is, is great. I was challenged this week, which mm. is fantastic, right? I was challenged when I presented my, my mission, Think Leadership, Think Female. Yeah. And this woman from India actually said to me, she goes, well, I don't, you know, I kind of don't want to end on a bad note here, but don't you think it should be like think leadership, think everyone? Yeah. And I said, yes, yes. I had that exact conversation with the marketing people that was helping me for yeah. the campaign around this. That is exact. I said, can I really do this? And how I, so now I put the caveat around, yes, it's, it's think leadership, think anyone, think everyone. Think mm. And today my expertise and my lens is coming through. How do we need to do away with the old think manager, think male stereotype, which we all still do and associate male traits and masculine characteristics to leadership. And so I explain now, what is my slice of the big diversity pie that I'm talking about today? Yeah. And uh, you see, I love these conversations because um, we had a two-day offsite, first face-to-face for ages, and we've got a, a new lady who's joined us who is a black lady who's uh, of a certain age who's been through a lot. Yeah, and so, and we were talking about the five hundred, and we had a lovely conversation where we were talking about the website images that we would have for this project. And one of them, the rest of the team was white and and female, and again forty around that age was saying, so what I'm worried about is that it's not about diversity, but the, the two white women there look firstly like a stalker and one, you know, look really angry. And and there was that conversation, beautiful conversation that came from the point of, you know, the, the person who's from a, a black background saying, but it's so nice to see people who look like me up on, you know, on a web. Um, and therefore, they're women. And, you know, we looked around the room suddenly realized there's no men. And whether it's, it's black men or Indian. So there was nothing there to represent. And I said, so as a white heterosexual male, there's just no representation. And there's a few people around the room who nodded. But you can't, you can't get over the fact that women and women of color uh, who've had issues, that we've got to fight to give them equity in there. I wanted to come to a, a point around that because one of the things that I've got in my mind as, as we go through this is as a, a man who's grown up with sisters, daughters, I've been encouraged to get into conversations that many men wouldn't have had. And menopause is one of them. I've had more conversations over menopause, I think, than anything else in, from clients and other things over the, the last year. Maybe that's the age group of a lot of my clients who are coming through that. But I've been amazed and shocked to understand the impact. Yeah. Yeah. But how do we get, how do we get people to understand? You know, I've had brain fog through COVID, and that was you know. But actually, to <laughs> to put that in the context, yeah. Well, yeah, and the amount of women that are actually leaving the workforce because of that, when they really are in the prime of it, you know, the kids are grown, this is my time. So, okay, so there's societal um, stigma, like, can we even talk about things is one thing. But then the other thing is sometimes there's reticence from women, too, because we fought for so long to say, we're equal, we're equal, we're equal. And like, physiologically, we are so not 
equal. Yeah. It's not even funny. You do not sit in a meeting all of a sudden then just have sweat dripping down you. Like that just does not happen yep. to you where you just think you're on fire. And and yet, you know, uh, a woman just this week who I don't know her age because I, I don't know her, but she didn't look to me at all anywhere close to menopause age. And she described a situation where she just said, I was in a meeting and we were talking about challenges and we all were talking about the same challenges. And yet when I said them, the senior leader afterward pulled me aside and said, don't be so emotional. Hmm. And she said, and I challenged him because I said, I, I was saying the same things. So yeah. so there's that. And then sometimes the, there just is situations where, you know, uh, hormones and, and all of the things that are, are out of whack are happening. Hmm. I remember uh, a number of years ago when I was going through uh, secondary infertility hmm. and I was receiving fertility treatments because this is the other thing that I think we're starting to talk more about. Yeah. I was receiving fertility treatments and I would have to go every morning before hmm. work, 7 a.m., you know, and I had a daughter at home already, you know, going to get blood taken every day, you get your shots, you do all of this stuff and it just messes with your hmm. hormones like you can't even imagine. And I remember not talking to anyone about it at work hmm. because it just didn't feel like something I was allowed to bring up or that I should maybe it wasn't leaderly to do that until one day you know this guy on my team lovely guy like lovely guy just said something and just set me off and I went to the bathroom to cry and uh, and then that's when it kind of came out and I said okay here's what I'm dealing yeah. with every morning before yeah. work and and I think we just have to be able to have these conversations yeah. if the pandemic has done anything I hope it's shown that that you know we can talk about more human things yeah I think so amplifying the human is a, an expression that we've got in the business at the moment and the human is so whether it's women it's neurodiversity it's whatever it is that you're going through but everybody is going through their own battles yeah wherever they are and it's about how we get that. And it's interesting because there's a debate around whether leaders should exist at all. So there's, you know, remove leaders. Yeah. And therefore you think, you know, you and I'd be redundant, <laughs> but would we? Yeah. Because I think a lot of what you're talking about here is about the human being and how, how you can deal with either influence or span of influence in your life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. We started off by talking about the interview that I did with the women in the four mm. countries and the one woman from the UK when I said, OK, if we want to get rid of this think manager, think male stereotype, you know, you know what has to, to happen? And I had always been focusing on the think male part. And she said, Tammy, even the think manager part is completely outdated yeah. now. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting and she referred to Gary Hamill's work on humanocracy and, and all of that mm. and so again it just showed okay you know in the UK and what, and what she's doing they're, they're thinking even about these things now whereas in Japan she was sharing examples with me that said Tammy we still you know use symbols for the housewife that means you belong to the home <sighs> and which means you are expected to be like we're still using these yeah. things so we're on quite a, a spectrum of, of equality that's for sure but yeah I get your point leadership is um I think we have the chance to blow it up, to just right now, just reinvent it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't, Wouldn't it? it be great to actually shake it up? So, and, and in terms of, you know, the role of women, and you talked about the research in, uh, in the workplace, because there's so much positive stuff that is going on out there in the world in terms of the role of women, whether it's leading countries, the pandemic, um, and leadership. So where are your bright spots that you're looking at and you go, okay, so these are the the bits that we're really flourishing in? Oh, Colin, that's a great question because there's always bright spots. Of course, we don't want this to be a, a doom and, and gloom um, <laughs> conversation, yeah. even though there's lots of work to be done. 
there are examples certainly of of women and gosh and you you know you're on linkedin all the time too mm. that are now sharing more things senior seasoned women sharing things like here's the mess in my house right now and you know what that's okay because i am focused on my health yeah. on my job on my kids and and so we're starting to shatter the images of needing to you know have a certain executive presence of having to live a certain way. And and I'm seeing more women share pictures of them. Even these things sound silly, but they're not with no makeup with no, right. Like like just, I think the conversation around authenticity has become a lot more real. Mm -hmm. I think those are some bright spots for sure. And then just yesterday I was doing a session with an organization and they wanted to start off by celebrating all of the uh, promotions. There was a slide of, I didn't count, but I kid you not, like more than a dozen names of women who had been promoted either to director or vice president or whatnot. So there are so many organizations that understand how we're even thinking about potential needs to change. Uh, It's funny, I I read some quite recent research just how fraught the word potential and how we assess potential is from a a gender perspective. It's so biased. And and so there are great organizations that are doing good work and, and know that retaining women and attracting them is a challenge right now. Yeah, and two key things in there that I always think about it in that one is the career path so the classic career path and you talk about having children now some women don't want to have children but there's still the career path and the choices in there and flexibility of career path and a lot of our career paths are outdated in terms of how that works yes and also there's the assumption at the end of the career path that it's the senior board level Whereas actually a lot of the board level behavior work that I see, I wouldn't want to do it as a man, let alone a woman <laughs> into a culture. So there's a piece in there. So, so what, what do you think needs to change, firstly, to get the culture to change from your experience? Oh, boy. Yeah. So there's a few shifts I talk about. So the first is, you know, shifting from that culture of FaceTime to, to you know, measuring actual output project and and so so much of of it is around you know who do i see who pops in who do i go out for drinks with who 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 you know so much research during the pandemic was pointing to if we move to these hybrid or you know fully remote work Um, some organizations are staying with fully remote should people choose to you know women are going to struggle with visibility and profile even more than they already did when we were all together in physical spaces so that's the first thing it's really shifting from a culture of facetime to outputs another one is is we think that we've come far in terms of that 1950s culture of the ideal worker which is you know it was the man you know you, you can picture all of those tv shows basically yeah. watch. the man could, just puts everything into his job um works all the hours uh all, everything he needs to because he knows that things at home are, are taken care of and we need to move from from that to different models right of dual employment of you know anyone can be the breadwinner of anyone can be the caretaker of and we need to shift that dramatically and it hasn't shifted enough and, and i think the the pandemic absolutely proved that as well so those are are certainly two of the big shifts i think that needs to happen yeah 
And I think there's a lot around priming men, other areas to have have the conversations and understand what the conversations mean as well. Because I I don't think they've a lot of men would say that they really fully understand their role and they they in the new world and new working ways of working. And there's a lot of people you know that I talk to on the male side who will say, well, I just don't have a chance now. Yeah. Yes. And it's 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 not right or wrong. And I said, well, I'm willing to you know even if I felt that. That's not my belief. My belief is that we need to create equity and we need to create choices because we need diversity in our thinking, let alone in how we operate our businesses, create products and other pieces. But there's a there's a piece about how to have that conversation. And I get exposed to it every day through my daughters, my wife, my sisters, but a lot of men don't. So it's it's a difficult one for them to to, to come to terms with in some of the cases. Yeah. Well, it's true. And so where where have you netted out on that? Like, how do we? By, you know, broadening opportunities, uh, you know, we don't necessarily limit the, how do you talk, how how have you come to that? Well, I mean, for me, I I believe that it should be a joint conversation. So I like your idea of the streamed men and women into their conversations, bringing their ideas together. But I, I also think that we don't have the level of facilitation or leadership in our businesses to hold the right conversations. Yeah. And I think that's where we're coming to is how do we get people to have better conversations or be able to hold better conversations to get better outputs in in there. I completely agree. Again, we know in the work we do that some organizations don't even have the basic learning around, let's pick coaching skills, for example. Like they haven't even, managers aren't even equipped to have great feedback, coaching, career conversations, that kind of thing. And of course, what I'm advancing now is it's, well, how do we first understand that even those conversations are nuanced now in the new world? So if we know the research around this, then how do we see someone and say, what do you believe is possible for you? And and if you don't think this is possible for you, then then why? Like how do how do we have different scenarios now for different and not to we're I'm not trying to stereotype oh, yeah. that all people have the same, but it, the research is clearly mm. showing that when people are in the minority, from whatever perspective minority that is, they feel powerless. They feel like things aren't possible. So how do we begin to have, you know, sure there's coaching one-on-one conversations, but then how do we coach for confidence and possibility and help people to see that there is a place for yeah. them and an opportunity that it's um i love that yeah. term coach for confidence because you know that comes to everybody and you know if we coach for confidence we'd be hitting you know men or other groups that would have there and i and i also just think there's this piece about uh, when we come to the the cultures and organizations that there's tools we've already got out there, but there's different thinking coming in around practices. We do a lot of practices that form new habits that create systems and feed systems. And I think there's some great pieces that are coming under the psychological safety piece that help uh, and aid this. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the anonymous one pager that goes around the room and everybody reads it. And then we discuss around that one pager and make some decisions as a team around it. So nobody's got a view about who wrote it. So the power is shared. Yeah. Right. So that's one. I think the other bit is that the leader speaks last in any topic. So I think there's some norms that are coming in that are going to allow us to raise the voices. And then there's a complexity of the introvert, extrovert, speak up, reflect. So we've got to build that in. So I do think there's a lot around the conversational culture that we could get into business, the decision culture that we could get into business. But I was talking today to somebody else about horizontal leadership as well. 
And it's it's this power base of I've got my area, but horizontal leadership and, and how we open up and how we start to to get different conversations across businesses. And I think there is something with that opening up, getting feelings, thoughts, the risky business seminars where you know pilots are told how to to get increased psychological safety in their pieces so i think there's some pieces coming out there that will help us but i i think sometimes it's a case of we've got to as you say get to the point of what is what is the minority feeling and get some of that sense out there without yeah like somebody said to me the other way without making it a zoo which is asking them uh, to do have you come across the human library concept from Denmark. No, tell me. They've got this brilliant concept in Denmark where they've created a human library. So if you want to, um, rather than Googling what is it like to be, say, a Muslim woman with a uh, single yeah. with two kids and raising them, rather than reading about it, you go get to talk to them so you can actually reach out. That is so cool. So I do think there's some creative things that are going to get us. Yeah. Well, you're having me think of, um, I listened to this amazing uh, panel for men who are mm. active allies and they don't call themselves an ally. Other people are calling them an ally. And the the one man who just had so many great things to say is because he has opened himself up so much in the organization to say, I am open and willing to mentor anyone, sponsor anyone, please. Like, mm. And so people come to him because he's created that. And he said his most enriching experience was from a young Indian woman who said, would you be open to reverse mentoring? I'm going to mentor you. And he said, it was the first time ever. And he said, yes, please. And he said it was so humbling because she just taught him, you know, obviously so many perspectives, but what he wasn't asking, what he didn't even know to ask, what was even okay to ask. Like she taught him so much. Um, So you're right. When we're open to those kinds of experiences, all of us, right, then to me, that seems like a good example of the human library. No, I love it. And it's also just, you know, learning from, say, my daughters who are my biggest coach. And uh, I was on a a board session and I was using sarcasm as a British person words. And there was a group of us doing it, mostly males doing sarcasm in this board. And one of the people called it and said, I, I had a visceral reaction because it's, you know, the lexicon of um, sarcasm is ripping flesh. And it was a, a moment that I remember because I came out of that, but beating myself up as I would normally do and say, oh, how did you do that? But also then trying to justify the British humorous sarcasm. But it was then my daughter who then said, but you do that all the time, dad. And then, you know, you impact on my, my sister when you do that. And those moments of vulnerability from the likes of myself and other people start to get a different conversation going. But um, how often do we have those in businesses? No. Well, that's just it. But you know what, Colin, I actually want to say thank you to you because you are such a good example of voicing things that men typically don't voice, feel, but don't voice. So, you know, I've seen your posts about imposter syndrome and this and that. And I just have to thank you because the research would support that all of us, all of us um, feel these things. We all do. And yet somehow it's been saddled to women. Um, and I have thoughts on why that is. But I just wanted to say thank you to you for, for doing that. And what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think it is, I mean, yeah, I've got another, my new bromance in my life is Casey Carter. I don't know if you know Casey. But yeah. uh, no. <laughs> he's just a brilliant guy. But he's written a book called Permission to Glow. And it's all about oh, okay. the four levels that you can achieve through meditation. First one is permission to chill. Yeah. 
And once you've chilled and fallen out of your thinking, then permission to um, to feel the feels. So the second level, and these are all basic levels you've got to build off. And then the third level is permission to glow in the dark and do your hard work. Mm. Um, and then he says he's come up with the fourth, but it's just emergent thinking, which is permission to glow in the light, which is collaborating with others. Ah. So I, I'm interested because I feel that headspace, meditation, other things has, has got me to this place, mm-hmm. whereas in the past I wouldn't have been there. So it'd be interesting to see why your thoughts on. Yeah, well, and I'm going to check out his work. Yeah, so here's my thoughts. So, um, you know, I've looked a lot as how um, the world over kind of young girls and, and boys are socialized very differently, right? And of course, we bring all that into our adult lives. So I think with girls and <laughs> I hope this is changing on both sides of the fence here. Um, but yeah. for girls, it's, you know, don't risk, keep safe, protect. We do still have um, a bit of that, but that's even how I was raised, right? And then for boys, it's, yeah, risk, stiff upper lip, you know, go do it, be brave, all of those things. Yeah. And so when we come into our lives as adults, we both feel fears and doubts. And of course we do, but the socialized and normed response is different. You know, women, mm-hmm. it's stay back, stay safe safe, don't risk. And then for men, it's stiff upper lip, do it anyway. So I might mm-hmm. be afraid of this opportunity, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, versus, well, maybe I'm not ready yet. Maybe it's not worth the risk. And that tends to be what I see. And so that's just something I've been reflecting on. I, th- I think it's right. I mean, I, that's that's where I come from, my, my sisters. And I think it's also about the when you're born in the family. So if you're one of three, then my eldest sister probably suffered the most because she was protected and you couldn't do things. By the time we got to my second sister, she was a bit more freedom. By the time you got to me, it was just like, go on, out you go. <laughs> and being male was just, yeah, we'll see you at dinner time. Off you go. So, and even more now with this, you know, the, the society and the worries and fears about uh, it's for both genders, but more for, um, I would say, for my daughters. It's exactly that. My wife and I constantly are going about how safe are they yeah. uh, in there. And and I worry about that because I think a lot of the exploration and freedom we give our kids is important and is foundational to the way they grow up. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this all day. But I, so if, if people want to find out a bit more about you, the books, everything else in your your life where would they come to find you absolutely so my website is my name tammyherman.com um, my book came out same time as you uh, september of last year it's called reframe your story and what people are telling me is it's a very easy to read book uh, women and men i've had men reach out and say too um, but women say they feel understood it's about um, the stories we tell ourselves that are no longer serving us and it's chock full of research and stories and good tips and strategies so um yeah i'd yeah. say check that out too lovely and you know we we are part of a network and when you hear people talk encouragingly about people and how they provide sound advice to them and I'm talking about Leanne here, who is a, a good friend of yours, then, then meeting you and getting to know you. I realize why now. So, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for your time today. And I know you've been busy all week with International Women's Day kicking off. So I appreciate that you probably at the end, if you ever feel like me, by the end of the week, you're like, wow. Well, I am. And uh, and we're heading into the school spring break. And oh. so I am like moments away from trying to 
now focus on packing a suitcase and and, nice. and doing all that stuff. So we'll oh, see. <laughs> well, enjoy your break. And it was a delight to have you on the podcast. Oh, Thanks for my pleasure. Me. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. Hey, that was a great conversation with Tammy. Lovely to get in the conversation. It's rich. And, you know, for me, as a father of daughters, sisters, you'll have heard in the podcast me talk, this conversation that we need to start having across different diversities, different areas, and start to get into to how do we work in a better way so that we give everybody equal opportunities to thrive, to grow, to to be recruited, to be retained, and to lead. And I think that's one of the key things I hold in my head is that all these diversities have so much potential to lead us in different ways in the future that we need to start having these conversations so we can explore and work. And as a leader, that's one of my biggest drivers for this. So glad to have the conversation. I'll look forward to welcoming you back another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast.